This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Nothing can replace the pleasure of turning the pages of the printed book. Join us now as we explore our city's rich literary heritage, talking with people who are passionate about the printed word and celebrating the Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute's fascinating local history. Welcome to Wireless Books. Welcome everyone and welcome Christine to another edition of Wireless Books and White Rabbits for yesterday as well. Just by the way, officially Christmas time. Oh, oh, you're making me feel exhausted, Beth. And um, it's only it's only the beginning of December. We still have a few a few weeks to go, which is why I'm not insisting on a Christmas jingle today. Well, next time it will be. Next time you hear us, it will all be Christmas, but um, at the moment we're just going to pretend it's not quite. But <laughs> actually, saying that, let's talk about the Christmas books. I have well, got... Actually, before that, let's talk about the perfect Christmas present. Oh, yes, I know what that would be. Would it be a subscription for a friend or loved one to become a member of the Athenaeum Library and then they could read to their heart's content. It would be. You've read my mind or I read yours. And yes, so well, we... we're all about the reading. Yes. So if you have somebody you think, oh, I think they would really enjoy being a member of the Athenaeum, come, and, come in and give me their details and, and some money, $69 for a year's subscription, and I will give you an embossed card with, and you can write in it um, their name and and the fact that they're going to be a member. You know, they're getting this gift from you. So it's a very nice card. It's a, sort of like an old-fashioned wedding invitation in a way. It's very nice. Well, don't let that put you off. <laughs> anyway, back to the books, because once they're a member, they get a chance. They get a chance at all these books. And I've got John Grisham's latest one, The Exchange. And this is actually a follow-on to The Firm, which was such a mega hit for him. I think that's really where he got his, started his name as, as a top fiction writer. And um, was made into a movie with, um, I was about to say Dustin Hoffman, not not that short actor. It's the other short actor, um, little Tom Cruise. Where did Dustin Hoffman come from? I guess the Rain Man. They yeah. were both in the Rain Man together. Mm. Good, good, good spotting. So anyway, um, Mitch Madeiri. Fifteen years ago, he he was in a firm which had links to the mob, and he and he couldn't get out, but he worked a way to get out, and he. He got out and got them all sent to prison, and he managed to steal ten million from them while he was doing it. So he's now um, in New York, and he's a partner in a very large law firm, one of the biggest law firms in America. And like he has a a corner office with views over the city, and and he. He could afford to have his own chauffeur if he so desired, but but he's such a simple, um, keeping it real type of guy. He he actually catches the subway each day to and from work because it's just as easy. And his 
his wife um, was working as an editor for a, a company which um, does cookbooks, and so she she opens up her um, kitchen or their kitchen to up and coming chefs. So they have these people doing catered meals for them, and it's all pretty swanky. But I saw. Th- as I was reading this description of their fabulous life, I thought, mm, I wonder if John Grisham has chefs come in and make his meals for him and stuff, because he must be loaded. <laughs> <laughs> it was sort of funny. But anyway, um, Mitch, for work, is forced to go back to um, the city where he was in the firm. He's He doesn't want to go, but he's kind of forced into it. And he thinks, oh, well, it'll be all right. Everybody is either dead or in, in prison. So, But um, it sort of kicks off, and he ends up being involved in this massive um, kidnapping case, and he's doing the negotiation. And his wife and the, the kidnappers pick his wife to be their point of contact, so it's um, it's all pretty exciting, and it's one of these books where one minute you're in Venice and the next next you're in Marrakesh and stuff. It's oh, very very a travel log. Yes, well, I suppose he's been to plenty of places mm-hmm. as well. But anyway, if you love John Grisham, I, which I do, yes, I'm I'm handing it right over. Now, I've got another real holiday book. Um, this would have been written especially for, for Christmas market. It's the latest Jack, Jack Reacher. By Lee Child, The Secret. Oh, another Tom Cruise. Yeah, you're right. Film ad- adaptation. I don't have a policy of only buying books that Tom Cruise <laughs> has made movies of, but um, it does seem a bit that way. Um, anyway, this is one of, he's done it before. This is a, a book where we flash back and we're with a younger Reacher and he's still in the military and he's part of the military police. Now, the, actually, this is interesting because the two books, and they, because I remember you telling me a lot of these books come out um, near Christmas time, mm. uh, particularly Lee Child and yeah, John Grisham, both of them are sort of prequels, really, aren't they? So the John Grisham book you've brought in the exchange. Um, That's a sequel. Oh, it's a sequel. Yeah. Oh, Oh, well, you know, pre- yeah, one's a prequel, yes. one's a sequel. So they're um, part of a series. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, of course, series tend to um, sell well. Look at yeah. uh, Narnia and Harry Potter and, um, oh, Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah, and Marion Keys. Yeah, actually, Marion Keys is very clever having a story for each sister. The she, Walshes. Yes, the I, Walsh I bet girls. she'd wish she'd made them a bigger family. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe she <laughs> should start on the, Her publishers on the do at children least. of the Walsh girls. Well, I think that's probably is about to happen. <laughs> anyway, back, back, yeah, back to Reacher. No, it's interesting. I'm um, sidelined. I think people just like. Compl- Sort of when you're reading, once you get full enough of the character, you want to read everything about them. And that's, of course, why it's so hard for authors to move on to new things because the public just wants to read more about the characters they love. Anyway, we've gone back to Chicago. Oh, not necessarily just to Chicago, but it starts in Chicago. It's 1992, which is way, way, way back in the past. So long ago. Well, oddly enough, I work with people who were born after that. So it, 
I know. When, when I keep thinking 92. Oh, 30 years that ago. Was a, that was only yesterday, but yeah, for, yeah, for people oh. younger, it's a long time ago. And I think in a way, um, Lee Child likes doing these things set in the past because he doesn't really do technology particularly. I mean, like, Richard doesn't have – Nuji doesn't have a cell phone and mm. stuff because it really – does change how these things go, the technology. Mm. So for it to set it way back in the dim past uh, makes it kind of easier for him. And also I think people like going back to Rich's past because he's kind of a man of mystery. So filling in the gaps of his past people enjoy. Yeah. Um, mm. It just hits so many um, sweet spots, this sort of thing. Any, and also, Richard is younger, so it's more plausible when he beats up everybody left, right and centre. <laughs> <laughs> oh, back to the story. It starts with a man, he's in hospital and he's had a heart attack, but he's going to, he's going to survive. He, you know, he's sort of looking forward to getting out. And it's in the afternoon, it's sort of the quiet time and there's not visit between vi- water visits and the nurses are off doing other stuff and he, he sort of dozed off and he wakes up and there's these people in his room and they, they ask him some questions and he can't really answer them but and so they sort of um not beat it out of him but they sort of keep persisting and when finally they get the answer they want or are satisfied that he doesn't know any more, they throw him out the window. Which is one As way to, do. to conclude an interview. So, so watch out, Beth, because we are actually we're only on the second Quite floor. Quite high up now. <laughs> yes, yes that's, that's right. Not that I. Am you suggesting. will open the window first, though, won't you? <laughs> yes, I think so. We'd hate for you to get cut. <laughs> that's right. Make so, a mess. So anyway, this man is on a a watch list because he was part of a group that was involved in something and. And it's sort of the people that were questioning him are sort of like vigilantes or whatever. And he's on a watch list. And he's not the first person in this group to have died in mysterious circumstances. They haven't all been thrown out of the window before you ask. <laughs> but because uh, the, the people um, hunting them down are, are quite clever. So they use different means and they like disguise some of them as suicides as such. Uh. And in fact, him coming out the window sort of vaguely could could have been written off as a suicide. But anyway, the Secretary of Defence has him on this watch list. And so so this is about the third or fourth person on the watch list to die in mysterious circumstances. So he calls um, a multi, um, an interagency task force to investigate. And Richer, who was recently demoted from major, is assigned as the Army's representative. And... The other people he's working with, um, I guess from the FBI and, and whatnot, they also have um, black marks on their careers. And so if nothing comes of it, well, they're, they're sort of um, people who have already been marked off as, mm. as being expendable. Expendable. They yeah, love that word. Yeah, they're, they're convenient for mm. guys. And so Reacher has to work out if he can trust the people he's assigned to work with, if they really are the screw-ups that they, they seem on paper. And also, um, I'll just read this little bit out at the back because it's quite funny. Will Reacher bring the bad guys to justice the official way or his way? His way. <laughs> yes, Beth, you've got the correct answer there. <laughs> you win a frozen turkey. <laughs> now, I have... Now, we're moving on to books which are slightly um, not so much up your alley. The first one is The Fraud by Zandi Smith. Now, Zandi Smith is really quite famous, especially in England. Her first novel, um, White Teeth, came out when she was 
She was very precocious. She was in her early 20s and it was a massive hit and it was made into a television series. And she's been writing, um, she's written a lot and they all tend to be contemporary novels set in um, multicultural um, modern Britain. And um, they've all done very well. But this one is set in... 1873, so in a way it's another prequel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's a, a real historical novel, and she's taken on a cast of characters who were real people. There's a person, a famous novelist, William Answorth, who existed, and at one stage, at the height of his success, he outsold... Dickens, he was outselling Dickens, but nowadays um, nobody remembers him. His books are all out of print. In fact, it's basically impossible to even find any of his books. Um, and yet he was you know, such an amazingly successful person. And he just, it's like sometimes people can be so successful and they just sort of disappear. And Mrs. Tushit um, was his cousin and she acted as his housekeeper. And she was real as well. And in fact, she left behind, after she died, and in, in her effects was a first copy of a book by Dickens, which is signed by Dickens, you know, too, because he was friends with um, her cousin and her. And so he gave her a signed first edition. And that that made an amazing amount of money when it was auctioned off by whoever found this book later and like quite recently in the 1990s or maybe a bit earlier, maybe a bit later. So it's sort of, these people were real, but because they've become obscure, she's free to imagine them in a way. And it's also linked, um, she's sort of centering around the Titchborne trial, which was a real cause celebrity, and the the Victorians were were just obsessed by this um, trial. And it was the case of this this man who was the heir to a fortune and his he he went to on a more than a grand tour he was actually going um to australia and he was his the boat that he was on sank out off the coast of australia and um nobody now there's a possibility that maybe he he could have been rescued or sw- managed to swim ashore and survive but also it's more probable that he um, died with everybody else on the ship. But there's, you know, always... So his mother clung on to the remote possibility that he'd survived and she she put out um, rewards for information about him and uh, paid for people to try and search for him. And she never lost faith. And about 15 years later, this Australian man or an Englishman who'd been living in Australia for a long time turned up to claim to be the long-last heir to to um, her husband's fortune. And she accepted him as, as the claimant, but he'd changed in so many ways. Like when he'd left England, he was a slight man. When he came back, he was, he'd been working as a butcher and was obese. And the the guy had grown up in France and spoke perfect French when he came back this this man couldn't speak any French and he had no um he was he was vulgar and didn't have the mannerisms of the upper class so it just seemed unlike it just seemed like he was a, a fraud mm. and although his mother said yes yes this is my beloved son 
the people that stood to inherit the fortune after she died and he was named as being dead, they said, no, he can't, it can't be him. So there was a big fraud case and, and it just went, it went on for months and, and he raised, he crowdsourced essentially to raise money to, um, to persecute his um, case because I think his mother died sort of part way through and so and she was bankrolling him but once she died he he was without money but they yeah he crowdsourced although they didn't you know they didn't, didn't put call it, it that, that yeah thing. but mm. yeah they they made it they did a subscription and, and lots of people because I think a lot of people even though they didn't really believe him they kind of thought it was kind of amusing to let this very vulgar man take over <laughs> the sport you know they sort of felt for him and so this case went on, and then he was sent to prison, and then he was released, and they did it. So it went on for years. It really was such a big thing. And this is sort of centred around the case. And, yes, yeah, so... Sorry, is the fraud case real? Yes, or, it's, ah, it's right, real. Okay. And yeah. In fact, um, this, you can get books about it on the line. I mean, I've read books about it, but it's such a, it was such a big yeah. case that people have actually written about it. And there's still... I mean, some people, there's still people who think that maybe he, he wasn't a fraud. But mm. um, Oh, it's a bit like uh, Anastasia, isn't it? Yes, well, they, they the were Romanovs. Able, mm. Actually, I, I suppose they could prove it with DNA, but I guess they don't have any of his DNA. Whereas, um, mm. yeah, because they, they actually did prove Anastasia was, uh, was a fraud because she lived um, up until quite recently, and I think she had children. And um, Prince Philip... Gave his DNA, and oh. because he gave his DNA to prove that the bodies found in the cave, mm. or not the ca- the mine or mm. whatever they'd been buried after they'd been, were the Romanovs, and they had, oh. and then they also used his DNA to prove that the woman Anna wasn't. Right. But, but we've, we've gone off track oh, a lot sorry. here. Oh, it's just so fascinating. Yeah, uh, well, you know, there is oh, a lot Zadie of... Zadie Smith, eh? I'm not going to take this today, mm, yeah. but I definitely will be... Is this going to be one of the books in the reading book club? Yes, it is. It's been selected by the book group, yeah. So, mm. um, I'll definitely get it. Um, oh, just fascinating. Well, it is very interesting, and I, I've only read the first couple of chapters, and she is a good writer. Now, I've got a book by an Australian author, Danny Atkins, and it's called Six Days. And it's a story about a woman who, she's about to be married. It starts with her com- coming down the stairs in her wedding gown and meeting her father at the bottom, and, and her father gives her um, a necklace with a stone in it, which comes from her mother's engagement ring, because her mother has just died recently, and her mother her mother's fondest wish was to see her as a bride. And um, and so her boyfriend and, and her are very in love, and she feels very certain about it, and they get to the church, and he doesn't turn up. And so, but like I say, she's very certain and confident that there's a good reason why he didn't. So even while everybody's sort of whispering behind their hands and going, "Ooh, oh, it doesn't look like he's coming. Ooh, he must have um, must have skipped town." So she goes immediately. She goes to his apartment, and um, he's not there. His car's not there, and so. So it does seem like he has skipped town, but she just has this confidence. And so she goes to the police and tries to report him as a missing person. And they say, oh, look, I'm sorry. Adults are allowed to disappear if they want to. And we can't 
you know, we can't just take it on your mm. say so. Mm. And so she sort of keeps bugging them and she goes, she keeps going around in circles trying to work out what's happened to him and she can't. And so this goes on. And meanwhile, he actually, something has happened that stopped him from attending the wedding and he's in dire circumstances and and he needs needs for her to find him. And this this is the six days it takes for her to, to work out what's happened. Sounds like a good movie to me. Yeah, I think so. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a very um, romantic thing, but that's okay. That's okay. And it's got a mystery in, in yeah. it as well. And finally, I've got The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. I think that's how you pronounce it. And it starts in France in 1714, which is during the French Revolution. And a, a young woman, she's in, in prison and she she's about to be killed. And she is visited by the angel of death or something and he oh, offers her a deal. Or something, yeah. Well, you know, some, some sort of demon or now, whatever. Who and, would you rather meet, the angel of, oh, what did you say? Death. Oh, the angel of death or Madame Guillotine. Both sound sound to me. <laughs> they do. Anyway, the, whoever turns up uh, offers her this deal that she can live forever, but she'll be remembered by no one. And of course, she she off she takes the offer of living forever, but she finds out that it's not all it's cracked up to be really. Because yeah, she can spend time with people, and when they're with when she's with them, they they know her and see her. But when the minute she leaves, they just she fades from their memory, and so she. She could be with you and then she could walk away and come back half an hour later and you wouldn't know her and she has to get to know you again. But she uses it to become a muse in a way. So she, she learns how to play the piano and she hooks up with musicians and they, they play tunes together and she sort of sort of helps them create these tunes and she's a co-author but they they can't remember her, they only remember the tune and they just... It's just this concept of you know the, the Greek thing of the of the muses, and she also influences um, artists, and so artists can sketch her, but then they don't know don't know who she is. Uh, now they've just got the sketch of this of this woman; they have no idea who she is. But she has um, a set of freckles, seven freckles across her um, her face, and and so that's how she gets identified in all these different. Um, Paintings because she's got these freckles. So, um, sorry, does she age or does no, she stay no. the same? She age? stays the oh. same. So she's just the yeah. same. And yes, yeah, I mean, living forever is not all what's cracked out to be. Really, it's just um, it's sort of a play on like the the vampire. Yes, box, that's, that's isn't sort it? of thing. The, yeah, yeah. Have you read that one? No. Um, I, somebody asked me if we could get it for the library, and I said, yeah, sure. And I went, next time I was at uh, the UBS, I went to, to get it, and I couldn't find it. So I actually went up to them, and sh- I had a picture of it, of the cover, and I said, oh, do you, do you know about this book? And they said, yeah, yeah, it's in fantasy. So I think it's a book that's very popular with people who like fantasy, and it's sort of, it's probably an underground hit. So people who just um, who don't think they like fantasy won't know about it. But it's um, mm, But yeah. you bring up a good point. A member of the Athenaeum asked you mm. to buy that book, and you did it. And well, that is one of the wonderful things about just only paying $69 a year. 
Well, mm. I try and buy for for our members, but I, I mean, it depends what book people are. I mean, if they want me to to buy a book about miniature railways of the world, I probably would not because they'd be the only person who'd want to read it. But a book like that, uh, I... Make that two people. I'd like to read that. I don't know that there is a book of that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should go and write it. But, but that's, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, if, yeah. if you ask me for a very mm. esoteric book that mm. only you would ever yeah. want to read, well, yeah. I, I wouldn't. Mm. But I, I went and I looked, looked it up and I I read a few online reviews and it had nice online reviews and I thought, well, I'm sure that more than one person yeah. will like that and, and so, so I'll get it. Yeah. Well, good on you. Well, do you know what? You've done so extremely well again. I loved your book reviews and you've actually really interested me in a genre of book I wouldn't normally go for and that is Zadie Smith, mm. The Fraud, and, and I can't wait to... Uh, to read that after I've read all my lowbrow murder mysteries, of course. <laughs> and on that note, dearest Christine. Yes, I think happy reading. Happy reading. Whatever everyone. genre you're picking. Yeah, as long as you read. Exactly. <laughs> and enjoy it. <laughs> the Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute welcomes new members. Enjoy the Athenaeum's quiet, warmly carpeted library and reading room and share in the joy of books, new and old. Visit www.dunedinathenaeum.org.nz for more information or pop into the Athenaeum Library at number 24, The Octagon. The Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute, celebrating Dunedin's rich literary heritage since 1851. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.